0: back by some construction on highway 33 so it made me late and it tested my spirituality for a little bit my resolve my my resolve for the spirit how about that let's pray father we're grateful as always to meditate on the word of god to think about jesus the bread of life to come around the table to receive from your mighty hand we're grateful for an opportunity to glorify you Because we're around here to learn and to hear about you and no one else and nothing else. And to give you all the glory in the process and to yield unto the Holy Spirit, whether we're the vessel being poured through in teaching or the ones that are listening. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher and I look to you and I invite your your work here. In this, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would divide asunder soul and spirit by the Word of God, this marismosing action, Lord God, tonight, that it would penetrate, Father God, and it would discern our thoughts and intents, Lord. And it would bring the Zoe life of God, as it always does, when we receive the revelation of your Word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so we're back for the first three Wednesdays of every month. So it's a nice standard to remember. I think everybody will not have any issues remembering the first three Wednesdays of the month. And last month was one that we had five Wednesdays in, so it was a weird one. And so we were off for two weeks, and we'll have have a, a few months like that in the year. So praise the Lord. It's good to see a few faces. A few different faces than what we've seen the past couple uh Wednesdays. So what we've been talking about, I'm going to continue on. What we've been talking about is the practical word. And uh, I'll tell you that when you talk about how you approach the word of God, well, if you just talk about the value of the word of God to the Christian, you could spend a long time talking about that. You know, we've only spent just a couple, three weeks, you know, discussing the word of God. And most importantly, the practicality of the Word for us as Christians. How do we approach the Word of God to get revelation from it? I mean, what is it really to us? Is it just a book? Is it just a piece of historical literature? You know, or is it really the living words of our Father God? Is it really jesus christ that we see basically that who came down and embodied the word is it really the living word of god how do we see it so we talked about a lot of different aspects of that we touched on those things over the weeks and i invite you if you were not here for those uh, lessons to go back because i think all of them are podcasts available on podcaster mp3 right Caleb? okay so you can go back and listen to those i invite you to go back because we had some very very anointed times discussing this and different aspects of this. Most importantly to me was getting down to the practicality of how you approach the word. To get revelation out of it. Uh, you know how and we talked about the steps you know a couple different Wednesdays. And we talked about um, the need to get revelation. rama, from the word of God. That is the foundation upon which faith is built. That's how faith comes is by the rama of God. The spoken word of God. It comes no other way outside of the gift that God gives us of like precious faith that everyone got to start this whole process off, this whole potential of God in us off that we use to receive Christ, okay? But then that becomes something that gets built upon and expanded by the Word of God, the action of rhema or the spoken or understood Word of God to us, okay? So we talked about several different aspects of that. So again, I'm not going to cover... Those, again, you'll need to go back to the tapes for the previous uh, uh, lessons. I believe last time we did kind of iterate and spend a little bit more uh, time on those steps. And I finished talking about uh, some additional thoughts over in Second Peter chapter 1. So let's turn over there, Second Peter chapter 1. And you'll recall that really Second Peter chapter 1 is a wonderful uh, few verses that cover really the, the essence or the outline, if you will, of spiritual maturity, of growth and the importance of the Word of God. And I've, ch- I've challenged everyone to go and spend some time meditating in Second Peter chapter 1, reading it, asking the Holy Spirit to bring revelation in accordance with the steps that we discussed in approaching the Word of God. I've talked about a bunch of different uh, issues and perspectives that Peter brings out here with respect to the value of, God, of God's word in our lives, <clears throat> and I just want to finish up with a few final thoughts um, from Peter. You know, you have to look at Peter's life here and realize that this is this is decades after he had been with Jesus. This is this is peter at his finest hour in terms of maturity this is peter that is no longer the you know the the quick you know impulsive reactive peter this is a mature developed by the word and the and the process of of you know that word in his life that he brings forth in here you know in those uh, couple verses that i talked about that really kind of characterize the process of spiritual maturity and uh, we see that this is taking place in his life because you see what he's saying in these passages and these are his really his final words because it wasn't very long after this that peter died he was martyred and um and you realize uh, um if you if you talk to people that have really delved into the concepts of where peter comes from In terms of this book and how it was written in the Greek, uh, it was written actually, what I've understood from some people that I have a lot of respect for, uh, that are, that are scholars in these areas, they, they talk about Hebrews and Second Peter being some of the most difficult books to actually translate from the Greek. And people think to yourself, or a lot of times, I mean, I would think, what are you talking about? Man, Peter was a, he was a blue collar man. He was an unlearned man. I mean, he was a man that had, he, we're not talking about Paul here. We're talking about Peter. We're talking about the guy that whenever Jesus was transfigured in front of him, couldn't say nothing more than, hey, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's build some some tents, man, and let's camp out here. I mean, you know, I mean, and whenever he, he didn't even comprehend outside of just his natural reasoning and his emotional t- touch with what was taking place to lash out that kind of a thing, and God had to interrupt him and say, hey, this is my son, <laughs> you know, listen to him, you know. But at the same time, this is also, you know, the same person that whenever Jesus delivered one of the hardest things he ever delivered in the face of the all the people that swarmed around him and followed him up to that point, talking about, if you're going to follow after me, you've got to eat me. You've got to drink my blood. And it said a lot of people left him after that. They could not understand what that meant because they weren't looking at the spiritual side of what that meant it wasn't a physical eating you know cannibalism issue here it was talking about you know participating in his death and resurrection the power of that covenant meal and peter was the same was the person that was the only person that really responded correctly in that to say whenever he turned to him and said are you guys going to go too?" he said master where are we going to go you alone have the words of of life You know, so I mean, Peter is like this walking dichotomy. I mean, it's like he's on again, off again in terms of of greatness and then very low, (laughs) you know, result in terms of what you see. He wasn't unlearned, man, but yet this book was a hard one to be translated because it was written from a perspective of very abbreviated text and to where literally they, he left the verbs out. Now, how you write something and leave verbs out of it, don't ask me that. I couldn't do that. But evidently, the Greeks could. And so it was a tough book to really translate. But at the same time, that lets me know where Peter's at with respect to his maturity in the things of God. And it's all because of what he outlines here in this chapter 1, the word, okay, and its process in his life that even speaking shorthand in Greek, if you will, he delivers a very mature essence here about the word of god and so i just want to go through a couple of things here with respect to the uh, uh some final thoughts here that peter brings out so let me uh i don't know if you guys have an amplified if you got your your eye devices or equivalent i'm gonna turn it over to the amplified here so you got your you're gonna have to turn your ears down right turn the volume down Let's read just a few passages here, verses 4 through 8. It says, By means of these, what's he talking about? By means of the great and precious promises, he has bestowed on us his precious and great promises, so that them, through them you might escape by flight from the moral decay, rottenness, and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, which is lust and greed, and become sharers, partakers of the divine nature. For this very reason, adding to your diligence, to the divine promises, employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop virtue. And what is virtue? Well, it's excellence. It's resolution. It's Christian energy. In an exercising virtue, develop knowledge. This is talking about intelligence. In an exercising knowledge, develop self-control. In an exercising self-control, develop steadfastness, patience and endurance, that is. And in exercising steadfastness, develop godliness. And in exercising godliness, develop brotherly affection. And in exercising brotherly affection, develop Christian love. For as these qualities are yours and increasingly abound in you, they will keep you from being idle or unfruitful under the full personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So the bottom line here, the essence of spiritual maturity is a life that's driven really by the end of this process. And that is the manifestation of agape love. I mean, that is the pinnacle of spiritual maturity. We see that outlined very clearly here. And we see it's a process of growth that starts off with being able to partake of the divine nature through these great and precious promises, which are the word of God. And it says that by these you might be partakers. It doesn't say that by these you will be. It says you might be, which means that it's conditional. It's conditional upon you exercising and using those promises to participate in them. And we talked in weeks ago about how you do that. It's much like a well. And you would take a bucket and dip down into that well to access the resource that's there. The same too with respect to the Word of God. You know, and the, and the, and the uh, promises. You take those promises and you access the truth of the divine nature that's in the Word of God. Okay? You take the Word of God and access the divine nature of God by way of that Word. It has to have that kind of a place and activity in your life. And the thing is, is that it starts out with a foundation of faith, but then you see that faith isn't the end of what we're doing here in this Christian life. It's not the end-all, be-all of spiritual maturity. Faith is just really the foundation. And then you see that he iterates a development from faith that's, that goes from faith, you know, to virtue and so on and so forth, right on up to the final thing, which is love, Christian love, like the Amplified says. And really that comes from the Greek word agape, which is the God love, the essence of who God is, Okay. And we know that Jesus said that they'll know you by what? By your love for one another. The thing is, is that I believe that the reason why we don't see a lot of salvations, the reason why we don't see an essence of, of, of really what love is all about is because it ain't going on. Y'all hear me? We don't have a fully functional maturation of our efforts together corporately into agape love. If it was, then what Jesus said, they'll know you and they'll, they'll be attracted to you and all that kind of stuff because of your love one for another would be. We would see the results of that. That's thus saith Greg, but that's way I see it. So the more that we are able to apply ourselves to the Word of God, access the divine nature build that foundation of faith and then build upon that faith all these things that are iterated here in these verses that we read, we will develop spiritually and eventually manifest the pinnacle of spiritual maturity, which is agape love. And, and I told you guys that really spiritual maturity can be measured by the amount of agape love that you walk in. If you want to get right down to it, if you want to take a spiritual ruler to measure the maturity in the things of god then it's going to be a it's going to be an agape ruler and you're going to take that ruler and apply it to your life i'm talking to me folks i'm not teaching you because i've come from from a position of accomplishment in this area i'm coming from a position i'm walking right along this out right along with you all right amen and so i i got Uh, quite a few areas in my life that I have got to to see a maturation into agape love you know I don't walk in that like I should I do to some degree in some areas of my life but not in all of them you know it's a process and you know what's what's great is is that we can look at John talking about spiritual maturity we can look at Peter talking about spiritual maturity we can look at Paul Talking about spiritual maturity. What do you say? What do you say? I don't consider that I have obtained, but yet I press on. That's what Paul said. That's, that's my paraphrase. To the mark, right? That's what Paul said. You remember that scripture? I press on to the mark of the high calling of God. Well, what is the mark of the high calling of God? That you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, and that love is all about agape. All through that is agape. Love, 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 love. That's, that's the law summed up in one thing right there. Jesus said that. And if you, so that means if you can do whatever that is, you fulfill the law. I mean, you fulfill it. You see what I'm saying? Wow, that's a powerful thing, but it's also a big target. I mean, it's also a, 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 a lofty goal, <laughs> you know, as we walk in this earth, but you will never come close to even getting to the process or getting to, to, to that mark. Unless you go through this process that Peter talks about here, adding to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, diligence, and so on and so on. Do you all see that? Does everyone see that? This means yes. And then notice in verse 8 it says, for if these things be in you, and I'm going to switch back over to, uh, let me just switch back over to the King James. Let's look at verse 8 there. It says, ah, you make it one change and it like jerks around on the page here. For if these things be in you and what? And abound. They make you that you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's two things here. First of all, these things have to be in you. What things are you talking about? We're talking about all the things I just read in the Amplified. You know, starting out with faith, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity, or love, agape. And just so you know that the whole love thing is complete, the word brotherly kindness there is the, is is the uh, Philadelphia. It's actually from Phileo, which is the other kind of love that most of us are familiar with. And a lot of us really don't ever get past to a lot degree. And you won't from a soulish perspective. It's a spiritual, agape is a spiritual essence. Phileo is a soulish one based on emotions. It's based on your likes, on your dislikes, based on your feelings. You know, and Philadelphia, you know, that's where that comes from. The, what did they call that? The city of love? Isn't that what it's called, Philadelphia? Yeah, there are brotherly love or brotherly kindness or friendship, whatever. It's Philadelphia is like, I've got fidelity for you. I I like you. See, that's Philadelphia. And that's what brotherly kindness is talking about. But then we go beyond brotherly kindness. It's not just that. It's agape love beyond that. That's the pinnacle. That's where we're going to. The love of God. But notice that if these things be in you, so they have to be in you, all these things that we talked about, and then they have to abound. Well, that just simply means to me that you have the word of God in you and you obey it. So if it's in you and you obey, that's that's the saith Greg, but that's the way I see this. If they be in you and abound... If they be, and you, we talked about one of the last things about consuming the Word of God was the digestion of it. And the digestion of it is really in the obedience to the Word of God. You know, you can, you can gain, you can work and apply yourself to gain all the knowledge you can about the Word of God. And if you do not apply it, it is of no value or fruit to you outside of a soulish effort, a soulish manifestation of knowledge gained. Y'all see that? Maybe a few warm fuzzies here and there. You know. You have to apply the word. You know, you have to do it. And that's really what I see that scripture talking about. If they be in you and abound. You know, and we see the wonderful thing in this verse 2 is that there is a guarantee for fruitfulness. You know, and I got to ask the question, are we idle? Do we seem unfruitful? You know, and, and, you know, turn the scripture around and really you have the reason for unfruitfulness. Do y'all see that? The inverse of that is the truth, you know? So if these things are not in you and they don't abound, then you will be barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus. Do y'all see that? That's just as true as the opposite. That's, that's the, that's the essence of it right there. So if you, if you look at your life from a spiritual standpoint and you see unfruitfulness, barrenness, then, then I'm, I'm gonna submit to you that saith Greg that it's gonna have to do with this issue right here. The Word of God is not a integral part of who, of your life. You're not, you're not, you're not putting the, you're not letting the Word of God dwell in you. You're not taking it in like you should. You're not letting that thing be in you and then doing it. Letting it abound. I mean, that's just, that's a simple, a simple, you know, application of logic to that scripture. Makes perfect sense to me. And I can look at my own life and see unfruitful and barren areas. And it's just because the absence of the word of God or the obedience to it. Very simply. Now, if you look at verse 9, let's go on. It says, but he that lacketh these things is blind. So now he's gonna go on and iterate even a little bit more with respect to not doing those things, not seeing the the participation in the divine nature by the word of God, and growing, going through that maturation process, you know, adding to your faith virtue and so on and so forth. It says, if you lack these things, you're blind. Folks, I've gotta ask you though, who is Peter talking to here? Peter was a pastor. He's talking to believers. Amen. That's exactly right. He's not talking to people outside the flock or the fold. He's talking to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Fellow believers. Probably spirit-filled. A good lot lot of them. You know, and listen to what he says. If these things be in you and abound in verse 8, then you won't be unfruitful. You won't be barren. But if you lack these things in verse 9, you're blind. You're blind. What is it that, the, that in so many passages in the Word of God that you see the Word referred to? It's the light. I mean, if you don't have light, and I flick off all the lights in here and close off all the curtains and extinguish all potential light, it's dark in here. You can't see your hand in front of your face. You're blind. I don't care whether you have eyes to see or not. You don't have an ability to see because the eye depends on light. And so, too, the spiritual eye. If you're walking around not having light in the in your vicinity, the Word of God is the light, okay? If you don't have that, then you're walking around blind. And that's exactly what Peter's saying. If you don't have the Word of God in you and you're not doing it, you're blind. Very simply, you're blind. And it says you can't see far off. In other words, it's like that one blind man after Jesus laid hands on him the first time. And then he says, what do you see? And he says... I see men like trees walking. In other words, he could see like some some shadow, essence of shadow and and vision from that perspective, but there was no resolution to what the image was. And so he laid hands on him again, prayed for him again, right? And then we see his eyes, oh, his eyes were fully restored at that point in time. And so to me, that's kind of what this is like when he says that you're blind, you're short-sighted. You're at a place that, you might, you might have an ability to see, you know, uh, some, some, some shadows and some, some, some things that are moving around you, but you can't make out any images. So you're blind. You know, you don't have an ability to resolve any kind of an image to distinguish what you're looking at. To tell somebody that's a tree. You know, that's a rock. That's lake. You know, you have no ability to do that. And that's talking about those that lack those things, those that don't. Have the word of God in them that don't, uh, uh, do it. They can't see far off. And then look folks, again, who is he talking to? He's talking to believers. He's talking to us. He's talking to, to people that have known, that know, uh, Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Probably a good many of them spirit filled. And he's telling him, look what he says here. That even you can get to the place that you can forget, you've been purged from your old sins. How important is the Word of God in your life? It's so important. It's, it's as important as, as giving you light to be able to walk in the knowledge of the very essence of what the gospel is about and what you, what you have gotten as a result of that. If you don't participate in the Word of God and intake the Word of God from a perspective of trying of getting knowledge from it, Revelation knowledge that will build faith and lay a foundation for then virtue and temperance and patience and God and so on and so forth. And have those things in you and abound like this scripture says. I'm just going to keep going over it and over it. If you don't have that, you will walk in spiritual blindness and can even walk in spiritual blindness to the point that you've forgotten the very foundation of what started your whole relationship with God. And that was the imputed righteousness that was the gift of Jesus. That is your right standing as if you never sinned. And spiritually, folks, that's it. We've never sinned spiritually from the Father's perspective, from Jesus' perspective. Because he see when he sees us, he sees Jesus. When he looks at me, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. He don't see Greg and his inabilities and inefficiencies and and, and problems. He sees his son. Because guess what? I'm identified with his son. Because I chose to be. Just like all of you have, too. So I stand in right standing from a spiritual standpoint. But now I've got to allow allow that salvation to be worked out in the rest of my being. In my soul and in my flesh. But you can get to the place that you forget. And, you know, i got to ask this question. You know, you see with Christians so many times... Issues with condemnation, with guilt, with being being bore down, you know, under a yoke of 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 just feeling like you've fallen short all the time. That you just aren't, you don't you don't add up to to, to Jesus, and it's woe is me, and just you know, it just give me the little cabin in the corner of glory if I can just barely make it in. That's all I ask, Father. Well, no, my goodness. Jesus' blood was worth much more than just getting you a little cabin in the corner of glory. He called you to glory and virtue in this life now not for the one to come that's yeah that's that's a guaranteed deal but he's called you to do to be able to let these things be in you and abound and then through those you're able to partake in the divine nature and guess what fill up cargo ships of rewards when you get to heaven and those rewards have to do with the manifestation of agape love to your fellow man that's thus saith greg but that's a revelation i feel like the holy ghost gave me Because I see it manifested right here. We talk about rewards. Well, those rewards, every one of those rewards are going to touch some essence of agape love manifesting your life. That's the way I see it. But I got to tell you, if these things aren't in you and abound, forget it. I didn't tell you. That's what the Holy Ghost told you through Peter here on the page. And so we talk about condemnation, we talk about guilt, and I've got to submit to you, that saith Greg, if you're having a lot of issues with condemnation and guilt, my first uh, um, recommendation, the first recommendation I'm going to give you is you've got to get in the Word. You've got to get in the Word of God. Because you don't have enough, uh, uh, you're not allowing the word of God to dwell in you richly. You're not, not partaking of its life, of its essence. The word of God may not have much of a place at all. And to the degree that it has a place, there will be a foundation laid with respect to these issues. There will be light in your life so you can see. To the degree that it's not in your life or has a place, there won't be light in your lives and there won't be an ability for you to see. And you can get to the place that you'll be, feel like you did back before you were saved even. Forgetting that you were cleansed from your former sins. Why? Because it takes the word of God. It takes the word of God to, to supplant the old nature from a soulless perspective. We're going to learn about that here in just a little bit. It takes the Word of God to do that. It's a process called marismos. And it's that dividing asunder. It's the Word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword that cleaves into as it comes into your life. And it, what it does is it cleaves and separates out all the stuff that is not renewed unto the things of God from all the stuff that is. So that you can see clearly the division between those two and go for what has been renewed. And make your identity there constantly. Make your make your withdrawal from that essence of your life. So that the other part of your life can be renewed to it. Okay? Okay. So, spiritual short-sightedness and condemnation... I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, as simply as I can read it from the Word as you can, it will pervade the lives of those that do not apply themselves to the Word and obey it. Very simple. Very simple. So as you're ministering to people, folks, I mean, if you, as you, you know, fellowship with folks and you've got particularly younger Christians, whatever, they're really struggling with condemnation or struggling with guilt, you know, really encourage them to get in the Word of God point them to some good pieces of the word of God don't just hand them a Bible and say get in it and start reading it I mean point them to some good things Romans chapter 8 is an excellent place to start man if you're if you're struggling with condemnation you're struggling with guilt that is the 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 uh dissertation <laughs> you know in some total really from from Paul under the anointing of the Holy Spirit about condemnation and guilt go to Romans chapter 8 and read it and spend time in it and go over it and over it and over it and over it again until the Holy Ghost brings revelation and rain a word to you. I did this when I was about 15 years old. I went over and over and over the elements of things like Romans chapter 8 and in Hebrews and so forth that talks about my priest and the fact that I don't have to be, uh, I can come boldly and with confidence. Hebrews chapter 10, before the throne of God. I, you see what I'm saying? And I went over and over it till it became a reality to me at 15 years of age because I struggled with condemnation. 15 to 16. Struggled with it. I beat myself up and asked God to forgive me a hundred times a day if I asked him once. A lot of times for the same sin. Beat myself up over it. And, and I tell you, I, I, I listened to tapes. I listened to people like Charles Caps. I listened to people like Kenneth Hagan, I listened to people that preached the word of faith and the word of righteousness. And I listened to that and got the words I needed to focus on. And then I fed myself around that word over and over and over. And I prayed in the spirit and I asked God to deliver me. I, I, I mean, I walked in the light I had at the time. And you know what? I came to the place that something snapped inside of me, that yoke. It moved that burden off of me, and it's never been an issue since that time. Now, I'm not telling you I don't have a, thing, a guilt waft up through me every now and again or feelings of unworthiness. Sure, I've got that. But you know what I do? I let that thing that's been in me and abound come back and go, No, 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 I know that my righteousness is not of anything that I do. Lest I can boast. My righteousness is of grace and it's a gift. I've already got it and there ain't nothing I can do to take it away. I'm going to continue to humble myself before the master and I'm going to walk this out. With the grace that he gives me to do so and the word of God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so that that's a nice segue. Through the word we can live a life of confidence. A life of confidence before God and come to the place that we sin less and less to the point of potentially being error free. And I know that that's going to cut against the grain and kick a lot of religious cows in the gut. But I got to tell you by the word of God, you know what the heart, the high calling of God is? It is to be able to walk a sin free life. People say, Oh no, now Jesus is the only one that can do that. Well, if Jesus is the only one that can do that, then it ain't fair. Because that meant that Jesus had something that we don't have. And I don't read that anywhere in the Word of God. He had the Spirit without measure, but you know what? We can apply ourselves to a place that He did to where, if we can get to the place to where we only say what we hear our Father say, we only do what our Father does, we only, you know what I'm saying? Continually laying down your life. You can get to the place that you walk Less and less encumbered by sin. And sin really doesn't mean... I know when we hear this word sin, it's like it just connotes this. It just bring, it conjures up the image of perversity, of, 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 of horrible, missing the mark. It really just means missing the mark. Like an arrow is shot and doesn't hit the bullseye. It's off. That's really, when you look in the Greek, that's really what the word sin comes from. It doesn't really come from words that mean debauchery wickedness. It really, a lot of times, particularly in the words translated sin in the epistles that where their letters are being spoken and written to the, the believers of God, people of God, it's talking about missing the mark. Like an archer would miss the bullseye. How many of you ever shot arrows? I've shot them many, many times. I've got a compound bow. I go deer hunting. I love to deer hunt with my compound bow. I've shot into the probably near thousands. Uh, times. And I miss the mark a lot. (laughs) Because I'm a hard, I'm a hard, I'm a hard judge. I want to be right in the bullseye. I don't want to be like just a little bit off. I want to be boom and then I want to put the next one boom. I want to be to the point to where I have to worry about, about knocking my knocks off and, and tearing my veins off. I'm that accurate. You see? That's all the time is missing the mark. We can get to the place and our, our goal should be In life that as we apply the word of God, as we continue to walk by faith, receiving the grace of God, having our nose in the carpet and thanking God that it's by his grace that we go every single day. And whatever we do, we be empowered in that and walk out the word of God that we know and walk in the light. And we know that we will sin. In other words, miss the mark less and less and less and less. So look at Second Peter. Let's look at, at uh, verse ten now. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Because if you don't believe me, look at what he says here. For if you do these things, you shall never what. You shall never fall. You shall never fall. You shall never fall. So now it's not thus saith Greg. The word of God's pretty clear here, isn't it? What what is he really saying here, Greg? Well, what he's saying here is that you can, through the word of God, you can come to the place that as you're living your life, you are continually testing and proving it out by the word of God and making sure of your steps by the word of God to the point that you'll get to a place that you'll never fall. That's the way I see it here, that you'll never fall. So yes, you can get to that that place and we should never like lower our bar and just say well I'll never be able to to make it to that place. Well that's as good as saying that the word of God doesn't have the same value and potential for your life as it does to mine or Jesus's life. Did you know Jesus walked by the word of God? He had to walk by the word of God just like we do. He models it out very well. Isn't it interesting Folks, it's not about the volume of the Word of God. It's about the volume of the revelation of the Word of God in you that makes the difference. Because i got to submit to you, did the the New Testament church have the, the epistles? No. I mean, they were being written during that time. They weren't, like, canonized into... The 66 books of the Bible that we have right now for them to have as a resource like we do now. We look at the church that the earth, but yet yeah, look at the book of Acts and see the exploits of the church. Look at the book of Acts and see the exploits of the church in its infancy. And how much of the word of God did they have? How much of the New Testament did they have really at that time? It was being written during that time. So what I can say to you is they had a smaller volume really. A lot smaller volume of really the written canonized word that we know now. But look at the power they walked in. Do you all see that? Have you ever stopped to think about that? And you know why? I I feel like, this does saith Greg, but I feel like it's the reason for this is because they were led in revelation of what they had at that time. To the place that it worked that level of power out in their lives. It manifests that level of power of Zoe life. So Peter says here, you know, you can, you can know. You can know. He says to make your calling and election sure. I think a lot of times we walk around in this life and it's like, well, I just don't really know for sure what, you know, that God's called me. I don't know for sure. This word of God right here, or this verse right here tells you very plainly, you have a part to play in making your calling and election sure. Sure means absolute. You can do that, and you have a part to play in that. Okay, so let me give you another scripture first John five thirteen listen to what John says here. You can know it says these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life so even the very essence of what you have that was that was imputed to you given to you as a result of you accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and savior that eternal life it's not something that you walk around here in this earth with a perspective of of foggy Understanding or foggy, uh, realization of what, of whether or not it's true or not. You can know. You should know. And I gotta tell you, there's only one way that you're going to know, and it's the Word of God. And to the degree that you participate and take the Word of God in on these issues, that's gonna dictate the degree to which you know. Do y'all see that? You have to participate in the word of God in order to know. And I got to tell you, the word of God, 1 John 5:13 says, I, these things have I written. These things have I written. Well, what have I written? What is that talking about? It's talking about word. So by these things that he has written, you may know that you have eternal life. For anyone that's ever struggled with whether or not they're saved, for anyone that's ever struggled with whether or not they're going to make it into heaven, some of the simplest things that sometimes maybe some of our, the more mature believers can take for granted. It, the, I've got to tell you right now, the, verse, the word of God is very clear. By these things that have been written, you can know. You can know. Okay, so, and you, you know it through the things that are written, through the word of God. And we talked about the goal being that we would not miss the mark. In First John two one, just a little bit before, it says, uh, "My little children, these things write I unto you. Again, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. So by the things that I've written unto you, you sin not. You miss. You don't miss the mark. How? By the things I've written unto you. So it has to do with the word again." And again, what Peter says in that verse, in verse 10, if you do these things, you will never fall. And that means to stumble or to err. The Word is what gives you the power not to sin. It's not just a conscious resolve where you are just constantly walking from a perspective of, if I don't do this, then I don't sin. If I do this, then I don't sin. It's just like you're back and forth again. No, what happens is, is the law of God gets written on your heart as you participate and, you've be, and you follow the Spirit of God who leads you into truth and knowledge. And as you begin to get revelation and rhema and understanding and you get light and you're able to walk clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer and make more and more refined steps in, your, in the process. You know, when you don't have a whole lot of light, you stumble and trip on things, don't you? Yeah. Have you ever walked in the dark, through a dark room? Have you ever stubbed your toe doing that? I have. I've stumbled so very badly doing that, multiple times. That's a terrible thing. I hate that. You know what? It's because I didn't have light. It's no different, folks, in the in, in the in the uh, life that we walk here. It, from a spiritual perspective. Okay. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm going to, to end there. We've got some other things that we could talk about there in first, in second Peter chapter one. I'm gonna leave the, leave it up to the Holy Spirit and your application to that chapter to read and meditate on it. There's some excellent things there and some, you can spend a lot of time, I've spent a lot of time in that chapter just reading it and reading it through multiple versions of the, of the Word of God, opening up every verse, uh, into the, you know, into the expository dictionary to look at what the words, the etymology of the words, where they came from and so forth. <clears throat> and that's a an excellent, excellent chapter for you to spend to learn about the value of the Word of God. I want to go into an aspect now of what the Word of God does in your life and the necessity for it from a perspective of being able to walk in the spirit okay walk in the spirit and so i'm not going to i'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this but i'm going to spend the remainder of tonight and then i want to go um probably next week i want to go ahead and finish this up but if everybody turn over to hebrews chapter 4 I don't know about anybody else, but I'm sweating like a Russian racehorse up here, man. I mean, it's just pouring. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is quick. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I've got to tell you, this one verse right here, there is so much power in this one verse in terms of, op- of gi- giving us an understanding of what happens when Revelation enters our life. Okay, when we apply ourselves to the Word of God, we ask the Holy Spirit and we receive a spoken right now Word of God from the Word, Word to us by the Holy Spirit that we understand. Understand when I'm talking about Rhema Word, I'm talking about Word that you understand. Something that is spoken to you that you understand. It's a communicated Word. Okay, not just words on the page. But when that happens, to realize the action of that Rhema in your life, what it does. And then you realize the necessity of the Word of God. Why you have to have it. Why you have to apply yourself to the place that you allow what we're going to talk about to occur in your life. Okay, so let's, <clears throat> let's look at this. Let's just break this down a little bit. For the Word of God is, well, what, first of all, what is the Word of God? Well, I mean, come on. Quite frankly, it's what we've got. The 66 books of the Bible here. Okay. The word of God, I raise up my eye device because I got a whole bunch of versions in here. (laughs) I love it. Is living. Well, in the, in the King James, you'll notice it uses the word quick. And you know, I remember, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, hearing the word or hearing the uh, phrase, you know, that'll cut you to the quick. Or like if you cut too deep on your fingernails, you cut to the quick. Have you ever cut your fingernails too deep? And they say, the old timers, used to say, well, you cut into the quick. Or on a horse's, when you shoe horses, you have to be careful not to cut into the quick of their hoof. Well, what is it talking about? It's talking simply about where the life is at. Because that fingernail is dead to a point, And then when you get to the place to where it comes from, it's alive in there. And guess what? There's some nerve endings in there and it hurts. And you're going to draw blood eventually because guess what? That's where the life is at. Do you all see that? And so what's what Paul is saying here is that the word of God is alive. And I think one of the first things that we have to really... uh, Let's just stop and investigate here is this very issue. Because I think this is where we fall short. And I say we. This is where we fall short as it comes to us achieving something from the Word of God. Because when we approach it, we don't approach it from the perspective of it being a living entity. We don't approach it from a perspective of... I am approaching a living being when I say the Word of God. And i got to tell you, the Holy Ghost spoke through Paul here a very powerful thing. The Word of God is quick. It is alive. It's from, it comes from the Greek word that means living, alive. And so if we're struggling to get anything out of the Word of God in our experience, folks, that... Let's start there. We need to re- change our paradigm. We need to change maybe our perspective and see the Word of God differently than we've ever seen it before. We don't need to see it as mere characters on a page or words on a page. We need to see it as a living being and it's God. That's, is that not what John chapter 1 says? You know, it says the, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. Right, And the word was with God, so on and so forth. I mean, God's listed all throughout that first chapter uh, verse there in Ch- John chapter one about the word. And I think it lays forth really the tr- aspect of the Trinity, all aspects of the Trinity being the word and in interplay there. <clears throat> but the word of God is a person. It's, it's our God. His word is alive. And if you look at the tense there in the Greek, it's a present tense verb or a present tense, uh, uh, thing. It's, it's a right now thing. It's not that it's the former word of God. It's the right now word. It's, it's the word that you see and that you perceive and that you're asking and receiving from God right now. It's a living thing right now. It's coming to you right now alive. If that's the way you, if you, if you choose to engage it that way. Or you can choose not to recognize that and have the same experience you've had for a lot of times. I think that's a very good place to start in breaking this scripture down. It's quick, it's alive. And then it says that it's powerful. Well, that's another thing that maybe we need to change our perspective on as we approach the Word of God is to realize that the very creative essence of God is His Word. You take the Word of God out of the creation experience, you have no creation. Guess what? The Spirit of God just broods and broods. And I think that's a very a very good model of what... My life is like a lot. i got a lot of areas in my life that are amorphous, that are not completely formed in the things of God. And the Spirit of God is hovering there waiting to, for me to get the of word to be carried forth to manifest the creation. I think that's the way it is for everybody. Everybody's got those aspects in their life. It's not that the Spirit of God, we're asking Him to rain down more and more because we got all the Spirit we're going to get. I mean, he either he came to live in me or he didn't. He didn't, like, just come in here and go out, come in and go out. He didn't just, like, stick his hand in here and just leave his hand and the rest of him's outside the temple. He's in me because I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's what the Word of God says. I mean, it comes down to do we believe this, folks, or do we not? You know, I mean, do we believe what the Word of God says? Thank you. Has anybody ever told you you rock, Christy? You do. In many ways. But it's powerful. Praise God. It's powerful. It's so powerful in fact. That it is the very reason why we are here today. It is the very reason why. Because if you look at the whole creation experience in Genesis chapter 1, it's always about, and God said, and it was. And God spoke, and it was. And God spoke, and it was. It was never, and God waved his hand, and it was. It was, and God spoke. So the essence of the release of creative energy is the Word. It's His Word. It's powerful. And, he, and in fact, he, sit, he it's so powerful, he sent his word, he wrapped his word up in a physical body with a soul, living soul. His name was Jesus, sent down into this world to dwell among us, the light of the life of men to come down among us. And live his life and be the great and and, and facilitate the great exchange that allows us to have access and the light of God to come inside of us so that we can now be the temple of his presence and not that made of human hands. That I mean, God don't want to live in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. He wanted to live inside of you. He wanted to live inside of you. He wanted to live inside of you. Every single one of us is the temple of God. And that power, folks, is just... We don't even have a real concept of it. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a concept of it. I feel like, this is thus saith Greg, but whenever Jesus breathed his last and said, it is finished, and it said he gave up the ghost, he died spiritually at that point in time. He died in every way, on all levels. He was separated from God. You don't believe me? Why does he say, Father, why have you forsaken me? You don't believe me? Then why does it say that he, if he was ascended above, then it says he had to have gone down below. And he did. He went down into hell. For us. Okay? Because he became sin. He had to go down there. But because he did not sin, he couldn't be held down there. Praise the Lord. But see, the thing was, is when Jesus died... We see in accounting through the different gospels some of them more detailed than others of many physical things that took place. It says that there was darkness, great darkness that overtook the earth. It says that the earth shook violently. It says that the the temple was uh you know the curtain in the temple was torn in two because of the violence of the shaking of the earth. It says that that You know, all these different things that took place right on down to grandma coming up out of the grave. And she'd been down in there for 200 years. And many different people come up. What I see right there is a a juxtaposition, a, a combining of the essence. To me, what I call this is the Selah moment. Pause and think of that. To me, this is the greatest Selah moment, or Selah, or however you want to pronounce this is the greatest Selah moment in man's history, is when Jesus died. Because if you stop and think, what happened was the very essence of the power of God that hell holds all this together, that framed the world. That's what it said, that God framed the world by his word. If, if the very essence of what holds all this together died, folks. And i got to tell you, when that essence and that power was shaken to that place, you better believe that everything that's held by that power is going to be shaken. This does sayeth Greg, but this is the way I see it. Seems right to me. Do you all see that? There is a real test there. I mean, I think that we walked. I think that, that, that the essence of, of creation came to a razor's edge of coming apart. I mean, of course it's not going to because of the Father God, but I'm just saying, do y'all see that? It was tested because guess what? The Word of God that created it was, had died, had been separated. The creative power, okay, of the Father was separated from Him. I mean, that, that had never happened before, folks, and it's never happened since. But because Jesus didn't sin, of course, he couldn't be held in the grave. I'm not telling you that I've got an understanding of all this. I just feel like I have glimpses of things that seem right in my heart. And it releases a power, powerful underst- uh, 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 comprehension of some things with God. That mean a lot to me. Anyway, whether or not it, you understand that or whether or not it, it seems right to you or not, you need to judge that. But it seems right to me. That that was probably the greatest Selah moment in history. Pause and think of that. Let's stop and think about really what happened when Jesus died. So many things come together right there. So many things come together right there. And it's all about the Word of God. Powerful. The Word of God is powerful. Okay, so we're going to stop and continue this next week. We're going to talk about this scripture. So I want everyone to, to, for the homework... To spend time meditating in Hebrews chapter four, verse twelve and thirteen. Okay, Hebrews chapter four, verse twelve and thirteen. So you all spend some time in those in that in those particular verses uh, for the next uh, for the next week. In particular, uh, uh, to whatever else you may have going on in the Word of God, but just ask the Holy Spirit for bread. Ask the Father for bread. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into truth and knowledge. In this. Because there are some powerful concepts in this verse right here that will absolutely turn you upside down with respect to the encounter of, the, the, of you with the Word of God and, it, and its a value to you, okay? All right, Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for the Word. We thank you, Holy Spirit. You're the teacher. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you bring uh, essence and you bring anointing uh, to the ears, Lord God. To the hearts, Lord, a spirit of revelation and wisdom and the knowledge of you. Thank you, Father God, that it's not just a delivery, Father God, of dead, soulish things. It's a delivery of the life of the pneuma, of the spirit of God inside of us that counts, that brings the power of God's word in our lives and manifests it. Thank you that you give us understanding, even on the hard things. And we are not going to be in a place, Father God, of obstinance or just I'm not gonna, of, of, apathy where we're like, I'm, no, I'll never understand that. No. The Father, the Holy Ghost delivers unto us the mind of God. And I just praise you, Father God, that we can know your mind by the way of the Holy Spirit. And we just, we say, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, deliver it. Deliver the word in our lives. You have access in the name of Jesus and all glory and honor unto you. In Jesus name. Amen.